I invite you to stand at the beginning of the labyrinth and to take in a deep breath. Begin slowly walking. The passion is not an easy story to hear. It is hard to think of anyone beaten, bleeding, betrayed, and broken, let alone our Savior, the Son of God. Even as graphic as our TV shows, movies, and video games have gotten, I still have to pause as I read the words of Jesus' death. Death is not an easy subject, which is probably why we mostly avoid it, try our very best not to think about it, because death is hard. I think in many ways, grief is harder. Watching someone grieve deeply can be painful. Whenever I think of deep grief, I think of that moment when you step into cold water for the first time. You know, that feeling of it taking your breath away for just a split second? That is what grief feels like. Not able to take in a deep breath because something cold and painful is sitting on your heart. This year, we have, have all had a lot to grieve, personally and collectively. As I have sat with my own grief, I ask myself, is this just a portion of the grief God feels on our behalf? When God looks at humanity and all of the suffering and pain that we inflict on one another, and God is deeply grieved, does it feel like God can't catch a breath? Is that what Jesus felt like on the cross? As he grieved for and with the ones he was losing and the ones who were losing him. While it is easy to skim over these verses and skip right to the empty tomb and the hosannas, I wonder if the real work we need to do this day is to sit with the feeling of not being able to breathe. Can we connect ourselves with the pain that Jesus felt? As you walk, I invite you to imagine the sounds of the passion story, the crowds, the hammer, the groans of pain. I invite you to imagine the smells, the tang of blood, the sweat of bodies pushing around each other, the mustiness of sand and dirt. Imagine the feel of the wood across your shoulders, the feel of metal and thorns on your skin. As you walk, immerse yourself in the story. If you reach the center before these verses are done, I invite you to stand in the center with your eyes closed and listen. A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. Very early in the morning, the leading priests, other leaders, and teachers of religious law, the entire council, met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, yes, it is as you say. Then the leading priests accused him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to say something? What about all these charges against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. 
Now, it was the governor's custom to release one prisoner each year at Passover time, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, convicted along with others for murder during an insurrection. The mob began to crowd in toward Pilate, asking him to release a prisoner as usual. Should I give you the king of the Jews? Pilate asked. For he realized by now that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priests stirred up the mob to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. But if I release Barabbas, Pilate asked them, what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the crowd only roared the louder, crucify him. So Pilate, anxious to please the crowd, released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to crucify him. The soldiers took him into their headquarters and called out the entire battalion. They dressed him in a purple robe and made a crown of long, sharp thorns and put it on his head. Then they saluted, yelling, Hail, King of the Jews! And they beat him on the head with a stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. A man named Simeon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the country just then, and they forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon is the father of Alexander and Rufus. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means Skull Hill. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused. Then they nailed him to the cross. They gambled for his clothes, throwing dice to decide who would get them. It was nine o'clock in the morning when the crucifixion took place. A signboard was fastened to the cross above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, The King of the Jews. Two criminals were crucified with him, their crosses on either side of his, and the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled him. You can destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, can you? Well, then save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the two criminals who were being crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at that time, Jesus called out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a stick so he could drink. Leave him alone. Let's see whether Elijah will come and take him down, he said. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, Truly, this was the Son of God. Some women were there, watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph, and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. 
Then they and many other women had come with him to Jerusalem. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to take three deep breaths. and to begin walking out of the labyrinth. Death interrupts life. I remember hearing a preacher say that once at a funeral and thinking, wow, that's really profound. And wow, that's a really stupid statement. It's amazing how we can think two things at once, isn't it? Death interrupts life. It is quite literally true. What didn't occur to me at the time was that the word interrupts usually indicates that whatever was interrupted at some point resumes. It reminds me of how I used to teach my children when they were young not to interrupt me when I was talking with someone. I would be in the midst of a conversation and one of them would come over to ask me something or tell me something and they would just butt right into the middle of my conversation. I would say to them, what are you supposed to do? And they would murmur, say, excuse me. And then I would prompt, and then? And they would say, and then wait. So I'd say to them, okay, let's practice. And I would go back to my conversation, waiting for the low, excuse me, that would always come. They interrupted me, but my conversation resumed. Death interrupts life. We live in this world that God created. A world that includes wonderful things like sunsets and flowers, the ocean and the mountains. It includes children's laughter and music. But this world also includes suffering and pain and hatred and discrimination. There are things through which we must endure. And then there comes an end, death. Sometimes it comes at the end of a long life well lived. And sometimes it comes too early for any of us to understand. What our faith tells us, though, is that death is not the end. It is simply an interruption. Because life, life in Christ, life with God, life eternal, will resume. I'm one of those people who often skips to the ending of the book. I'll read the last few pages just to see what happens to my favorite characters. And I think that's our tendency with Good Friday. We like to skip right to the ending, the real ending, which is, of course, the resurrection. But we can't skip too quickly because the middle part, this part, with the suffering and the death and the pain, teaches us many things. In other words, we can't skip the interruption because we need that part too. Continuing reading in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. This all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. As evening approached, an honored member of the high council, Joseph from Arimathea, who was waiting for the kingdom of God to come, gathered his courage and went to Pilate to ask for Jesus' body. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for the Roman military officer in charge and asked him. The officer confirmed the fact, and Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth, and taking Jesus' body down from the cross, he wrapped it in the cloth and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph 
saw where Jesus' body was laid. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As you exit the labyrinth, I invite you to take two deep breaths. And to go in peace.